Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America. Welcome to the 41st ever show of All Around Sports. Reach Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We broadcast live from Boston to go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me through my website at www. IIR Sports, one word, dot com. As always, it was another wild week in sports, and for this post-Super Bowl edition, I will discuss the highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that dominated this past week. In 15 minutes, I will welcome today's call-in guest, Sports Business Journal reporter Dan Kaplan, and in a half an hour, we will be joined by our weekly expert guest, Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post. Well... Referring back to the Super Bowl, my highlight of the week was watching the sound FX on NFL Network Wednesday night, matching up the audio from mic'd up Super Bowl participants to go with the video we all watched on Sunday. It was absolute gold. From Giants linebacker Michael Boley telling his teammates early on that injured Rob Gronkowski was only a decoy, to Bill Belichick advising his defense to make him go to Manningham just moments before the Giants receiver made the play of the game, which will live forever in Super Bowl lore. And in between, an official saying about the Wes Welker drop, that's the game, right on to Tom Brady opining that passing against the Giants' D is like throwing through a forest, dude. So it was really great stuff, again, playing on NFL Network, half hour long. It is absolutely priceless stuff and really provides insight into the game. Uh, never before heard uh, in any previous game, let alone a Super Bowl. My low light of the week is the fallout up here in Boston from the Patriots Super Bowl loss, which includes everything from trying to turn receiver Wes Welker into the next Bill Buckner up here, to jumping on Rob Gronkowski for dancing at the Patriots' party after the loss. And finally, ripping into Boston native and former Giants, Steve Diossi, who's the father of current Giants, long snapper Zach Diossi. And basically it has to do with uh, Steve Diossi speaking at a Giants pep rally 
uh, pregame for the Super Bowl. And Diossi's now a media member up here in Boston. Uh, he's very good. And some now question his Patriots' perspective. So basically, no, no city plays the blame game like Boston. But please, enough already. The Patriots have pl- played in five Super Bowls in the past ten years. And the Giants are simply the better team. They beat them the last three times they played them in identical fashion every single time, including twice this year. So hats off to the Giants. Congratulations. And that leads also into my bizarre story of the week, which is the lead story coverage of uh, supermodel Giselle Bunchen, who's Tom Brady's wife, of course, standing up to Giants hecklers. Emotions were running high immediately after the game, and she was simply standing by her man. The coverage from the entertainment media is even more ridiculous when it refers to Giselle as a jinx, since Brady hasn't won the Super Bowl since they started dating in 2006. Granted, Giselle's comments would have been uh, better without any reference to the receivers, but again, high emotional moment, and uh, she was being heckled, and she said what she said, but it does not deserve three, four, and five days of lead story coverage, uh, particularly on the entertainment shows. And now my event of the week, which was being part of the announcing team at our very own Voice America Network's broadcast live from the 12th Annual Player Networking event on Super Bowl Saturday in Indianapolis. With the likes of Charles Tillman from CBS Sports anchoring and guests that included San Francisco 49ers postseason superstar Vernon Davis and the inspiration for the movie Invincible, Vince Papale. It was a fabulous four hours at this high-profile Super Bowl tradition. And now for my final Super Bowl take-home thoughts, which are a few. Number one, Indy stepped up big time, and I predict it will get another Super Bowl someday. The zip line absolutely ruled out in Indy and will become a tradition at every Super Bowl from now on, I predict. Radio Row Row on Super Bowl Friday afternoon, from where I broadcast last week's show, is perhaps the greatest assemblage of talent this side of the ESPYs. From Adam Sandler, Vanilla Ice, Kate Upton, Jordan Sparks, and Rosie O'Donnell, to Plaxico Burris, Mean Joe Green, Jason Taylor, LeVar Arrington, Kurt Schilling, it's a veritable who's who of the sports and entertainment world coming together. And speaking of Radio Row, the NFL opened this up to fans for the first time, as they also did with Media Day, and I predict these will also become Super Bowl staples. So in summation, walking down the streets of Indy all week looked and felt like the street, like walking down the streets of Manhattan, as in Times Square, which is simply the highest compliment I can give any city. And my last and favorite leftover from last week is an interview with Patriots owner Robert Kraft from Media Day last Tuesday, Uh, held in spectacular Lucas Oil Stadium. Despite the excruciating loss on Sunday, the Patriots are already favored to win next year's Super Bowl. Plus, they have two ones and two twos in the upcoming NFL draft. Here is Mr. Kraft talking about the Patriots' way and why, why we likely haven't seen the last of the Patriots in Super Bowls. 
years, you know, I, I've learned, I mean, our basic business is a business where we're a company I started in the early 90s. We do business in 91 countries in the world. And I, if we used a normal corporate structure, we would never be able to do business properly. And, you know, you have to build an organization around the talent you have. You know, over after being exposed to Bill, first three to four years as a head coach, I was quite comfortable letting him have more and more autonomy because in any business, we think long. And we want people who are, especially in the age of the salary cap, if you have a coach who's only going to be there two, three years, and they're signing people and committing a cap, you know, you have a cap with a limited budget, then they're not accountable. They can leave you with a mess. But I was comfortable in my relationship with Bill that he'd be with us for the long term and uh, so I was willing to give him the autonomy and then also our whole league is geared towards everyone being eight and eight and mediocrity so that if you do well you get a harder schedule you draft at a at the high end so you don't get the right talent so the only way you can sustain success is if you encourage your managers to be bold uh, take risks, do things, and if it doesn't work out, you don't Monday morning quarterback. And a perfect example this year, and I'm very proud of our organization, is the drafting of Marcus Cannon, who really would have gone much higher than he did, but he had cancer, he went through chemo, and now he's uh, been a great performer. Not, I'm just singling him out, not against other players, but just as an example of a decision that was discussed and we said it was worth the risk. And the thing that comes to me more than anything is how what happened with Brady. I mean, every team spends millions of dollars, and we got these football gurus who think they know everything, and sometimes they have trouble talking to common folk like all of us. You know, how it's, it's like rocket science. But I sat there in draft day 2000 and saw every team who spends millions of dollars let Brady go by on the board. I remember Bill saying in the fifth round, wow, that's too much value up there. And we, you know, we had three great quarterbacks at the time. And then the sixth round came, and he was still there. And I think, I think we had two picks. I think we took him with the second, our second six-round pick, which is the 199th pick. And right now, what I've seen in the NFL, and I've been watching it since... I was a Giant fan before the Patriots were created, and I've been a Patriot fan for over 50 years now. I've been to every, you know, Tom Brady is my favorite player, and the number one quarterback that I've seen. And I hope we close the order this week. Uh, we've got a tough time to do it. But what it showed me is that these football gurus, they, you know, they, they can't measure here and here. They can do the... Um, uh, statistics on you know the things that everyone can see but the key to life when you want to excel in something whether it's your life partner or business is you got to be able to see things that other people can't see and it's a long-winded answer to saying why 
we've granted Bill a lot of autonomy because he's earned it. Most businesses, we want checks and balances. Well, Mr. well that was Mr. Kraft talking about uh, the Patriots' way, so to speak, and uh, hopefully it provided you a little insight into how they think over there in nearby Foxborough. And needless to say, Mr. Kraft has had a year like no other. Uh, from his pivotal role in the lockout at a time when his wife was very ill to her passing in the middle of last year to uh, Myra Kraft then becoming uh, an inspiration for this year's team. Uh, it has certainly been, again, quite a year for Mr. Kraft, who is a, a true gentleman and someone I always enjoy listening to. And, uh, you know, now a few thoughts on the game itself. Um, Agonizing from the Patriots' point of view. Uh, the start of the game, you know, unforgivable. I've been an 18-year season ticket holder, and I can't ever remember watching the Patriots start a game with such mental errors. Brady uh, getting called for the safety uh, on the first play from scrimmage uh, when he threw the ball into the middle of the field. Nobody was there. Right on to the next series. Then they punt the ball with the Giants, who get it in good field position, move down the field. Then the Patriots force a fumble, the one of three, but the only one they recovered. And they're called for 12 men on the field, negating that. One or two plays later, Giants score. It's 9 nothing, and the Patriots have had the ball for one play, a safety. And then moving on into, you know, the second half. Uh, well, first of all, the Patriots' uh, formula for success this year and in other years has been score at the end of the first half, receive the second half kickoff, score again, they did that in this Super Bowl, and at that moment in time, I thought it was looking pretty good for the Patriots, but uh, they, they did, you know, I would have preferred to see them play more of an up-tempo, no-huddle offense. They did not do that. They simply, uh, you know, played at the Giants' pace, and uh, ultimately, I believe it cost them. As for the play of the game, from the Patriots' point of view, which was... Uh, the misconnection, shall we say, between Brady and Welker. Uh, you can call it a Welker drop if you choose, but Patriot fans have simply been spoiled. Wes Welker always makes that play. It would have been a tough catch, but he did have both hands on the ball. Certainly could have been a better pass from Brady. Welker was wide open. It went to his back shoulder, and he had to twist his body. Obviously, he did not come up with it, but if he does come up with it, it's first down, Patriots ball at the 20 and four minutes to go. They likely win the game at that point in time, or at least get a field goal, forcing the Giants to move down the field with under two minutes to go, no timeouts, and needing a touchdown to win. Not that they couldn't have done it. I saw him do it in Foxborough in uh, October with a minute 36 to play, so uh, it would have been no slam dunk. But if the Patriots had scored a touchdown after the what? Uh, had the Welker play been completed, they would have won the game. It's that simple. And then, uh, you know, the my final thought was simply the uh, the Hail Mary at the end. Seeing Gronkowski, my instant thought as he dove for the ball, and he really didn't come too close, was that he basically pushed off his injured foot. And I just thought at that moment in time, I wished he had uh, pushed off his non-injured foot and he might have come a little closer, and I've seen him come up with tougher grabs like he did against Denver in the playoffs three weeks ago in the corner of the end zone. And, uh, well, wouldn't that have been something? It would have been the most famous play in Super Bowl history. 
And uh, instead, uh, Mario Manning's hams. Fabulous catch off Eli's perfect throw will be the single play that goes, forever goes down in Super Bowl lore. And bottom line, at the end of the day, give the Giants credit. They made that play. They made It was a championship play. And that's the plays you have to make to win the title. They made them. The Patriots didn't. It wasn't just Welker. There were some misconnections with Branch late in the game, as well as Aaron Hernandez. And uh, the Giants made the play plays. The Patriots did not. The Giants deserved to win. And congratulations to them. So, with that said, uh, as my former co-host, Lemont Williams from outside the huddle used to likes, likes to say, Time to pay some bills, so let's take our break. And joining us on the other side will be Dan Kaplan from Sports Business Journal. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice American Network and let's talk football. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you? It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams. Each week, join Lemont as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. 9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. Well, it's that time of the show when we often have guests, and joining us today is Sports Business Journal reporter Dan Kaplan, whom I ran into in, in Indy last week. And welcome, Dan. I know you cover the NFL, so uh, let's start with your thoughts on Super Bowl week in Indianapolis. Well, unfortunately, I didn't get on a zip line, so that was too bad. <laughs> um, you know, me either. Have... Me either. That tower was a little too tall for me. Well, I just didn't uh, organize it, so um, maybe, maybe the next time the Super Bowl is in Indy, if that occurs, and I think it will. But you know, Indianapolis was the uh, sleeper Super Bowl. Nobody was expecting much, and it ended up being just about a home run. It was, uh, you know, it was a wonderful vibe downtown, other than. 
you know, late at night, uh, the last couple of nights when it got a little too out of control. But it really, it, it, it surprised a lot of people. People weren't expecting much. They just saw this as a, you know, just a Super Bowl that you had to have because of the Indianapolis, the new stadium there. Uh, instead, it was it really almost rewrote the book for how you do Super Bowl. You need to have more than just a bunch of parties and, and beer and and whatnot. You need you need a, a almost a, a communal feel, and and that that is that's what uh, the takeaway was here. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I've never been a fan of the Super Bowls where it's all spread out, i.e., Phoenix where, you know, it, it seems like everything is 35 miles away. And Houston was along those lines. Uh, you know, I think Florida and Miami I do have some travel involved, but, you know, they're able to kind of split it pretty good between Fort Lauderdale and Miami, so it doesn't seem quite as onerous. Uh, not to mention you're, you're in Florida in February, so that always helps. Right, right, of course. But I agree with you. I thought Indianapolis, as I uh, said at the top of the show, was just a terrific host city. The compact downtown made it just so easy to get around. And uh, I thought they did a great great job. And I do believe someday they'll get another Super Bowl. And uh, let's just hope if and when that happens that uh, the weather will be as good as last week. Well, I think the other thing about Indianapolis that really came across was how much the city wanted it. They they were willing to shut down streets. They were willing to erect zip lines. Uh, you know, they had eight thousand volunteers all telling you to have a super day and willing to talk to you. And they had people walking around with big flags that uh, identified them as a helper uh, if you had any problems or needed to ask questions. It, it was just clear. And I know a lot of this is corny, the Midwestern friendliness. Uh, I'm not from the Midwest, but it was it was clear that. Uh, they really wanted it. And I think sometimes when you go to some of these spread out Super Bowl cities, the ones that have always had it, it's, you don't, you know, you just, it's just there. You know, there, there's some parties to go to, there's the big game, uh, there's some sponsor activation, if it's, you know, there's the beaches if it's Miami, and that's about all you get. Uh, here, it was really distinctive. Yes, it was. And uh, I even heard some Indianapolis residents say they'd like to see. Uh, maybe one or two of those streets kept as pedestrian ways. Uh, and I've been to Indianapolis once before, and I really liked it then. You know, you can't help but really like the compact downtown. And uh, I, I would be in agreement with them that, you know, keeping one or two of those streets as pedestrian ways, a la Faneuil Hall up here in Boston, for instance, uh, would probably be a pretty good idea. I think it's a great city. And... Uh, but, you know, I know when you were out there, you, uh, you covered an owner's meeting and uh, prior to that had written about some of the hot items on the league's agenda. But uh, why don't we start with the owner's meeting that you covered out in Indianapolis during Super Bowl week? How did that go? It was very short, only about 40 minutes, which is quite um, brief for these meetings. Uh, the, the primary purpose was simply to vote for funds for the new stadium in Santa Clara that the 49ers will be building the first new football stadium in Southern in California, excuse me, uh, since the 1960s. 
this is the first money uh, allocated under the league's new stadium financing program. Uh, the Niners will get up to $200 million in grants and loans. So uh, that program is off and running. It's one of the first real big benefits uh, from the new CBA that that, that program uh, they're able to do. Terrific. Now, I've heard some rumors that the Oakland Raiders may somehow, you know, be having a joint stadium with the 49ers. Is that going to happen, or does this Santa Clara deal preclude that now? It's been discussed, uh, speculated that it would make sense, all of the Jets and Giants. The stadium in Santa Clara, right now, the price tag is over a billion. There's a $850 million of uh, debt responsibility on the 49ers. So clearly bringing in the Raiders would, 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 uh, would significantly mitigate that. Uh, that, that said, uh, I don't believe the Raiders culturally want to be in bed with the 49ers and vice versa. Uh, I think the Santa Clara might not be happy to have the Raiders in Santa Clara. There's a lot of baggage that appears to come with the fan base of the Raiders uh, that a lot of communities don't want. It's one of the reasons L.A. was quite content to see the Raiders go. So I, I, I do believe the Raiders probably will end up uh, where they are in Oakland and also realize that you have to find out first what, what is going to happen with the ownership in Oakland. The owner of the Raiders, passed, the longtime owner, Al Davis, passed away in uh, October. His son, Mark, is running the team, but it's actually owned by uh, Al's wife, who is ailing, is also very sick, and if she passes, then Mark Davis would have three years to pay the estate taxes, which most presume he does not have the resources for unless he's able to sell uh, a significant limited partnership stake. Which you know, So there's a lot of unknowns right now about the Raiders, where they're going, uh, who's going to own the team. So it's very difficult to say whether they're going to be playing in Santa Clara. My, my money would be no. And I would tend to agree with that. And I had actually met Mark Davis at the... Uh league owners meetings in Dallas about uh, a little less than two years ago. So um, it'll be interesting to watch that situation. That's a good perspective, Dan. And sticking with California, one of the items that you mentioned uh, on the league's agenda is, of course, Los Angeles. What are your thoughts on the future of an NFL team someday in Los Angeles? Sometimes I feel like I'm going to be a very old, old sports business reporter and still being asked this question. It, <laughs> I'll bet. It's it, been it, around it, for a it, couple decades now. It's been around for forever. Uh, every offseason, other than the lock, you know, the, the labor uh, stuff of the last couple of years, this has been the hot topic. There are two stadium projects right now that the league is looking at. They're not quite satisfied with them, one downtown one about 20 miles outside of downtown L.A. I, I thought maybe they would be ready uh, come the March meeting to have something. I don't know if that's going to be the case now. Uh, and, and really, look, the, the other issue is the NFL is not in, in a tremendous hurry to get back to L.A., if it ever does. The NFL is at record popularity levels. It's, um, yeah, the, the teams are doing fine. The ratings uh, are, are off the charts. They've done just fine, thank you very much, without the second largest market in, in the country. That said, they'd like to be there. Uh, it would be good for the sport if it, if, if it worked well. Uh, but they're not going to go back unless it's the, it, the perfect scenario. Interesting. Well, it's just uh, the, year, the annual topic 
to say the least. And, uh, you know, another subject that you mentioned in your article was uh, attendance, which is of great interest to me, and here's the reason why. As I believe you know, I'm an 18-year Patriots season ticket holder. I live 20 minutes from Gillette Stadium. I have a completely hassle-free experience of, you know, going to the games. I can leave at noon, home by 5, and I don't miss a play. Uh, but yet, I'm also uh, a red zone addict. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, I, I actually enjoy when the Patriots are on the road because then I know I can watch red zone and just, you know, see every every game, which I just absolutely love. So, Do they show I know red that zone in stadium at Gillette? Well, they do, um, but it seems to just be for, you know, flashes. And, you know, once you've had a taste of watching it for, <laughs> shame to say, eight hours, um, anything less than that, let alone boil down to a few minutes, uh, it just obviously doesn't compare. But they do show it. I've heard, uh, listened to Commissioner Goodell talk about, you know, uh, the in-game experience. So where do you think that's all headed? You know, I know the NFL prioritizes Enhancing the in-game experience while also, obviously, you know, moving forward with red zone, needless to say. Well, technology will be a key part of that. And, you know, as you say, uh, the you know, multitasking, being able to watch the game, watch red zone, it may be something as simple as, um, I don't know, if I shouldn't say simple, but perhaps on your mobile device while you're in stadium being able to get red zone. I don't know if that's something that they're capable of doing. Uh, but it, 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 it's ideas like that that the league is looking at. They, they, they realize it's a, it's a tough task to lure people out of their, their man caves, for lack of a better word. Um, it, people love watching the games on TV because the, the networks do such a great job. The, the technology, the, uh, the TVs are so much better than they've ever been. So it, do you really want you, you you really want to go for five six seven hours to to a football game and watch the equivalent of fourteen minutes of action? So and a lot of fans are saying no. That said, the the uh, the, sell, uh, the the number of non sellouts went down this past year compared to the year before. Uh, it does seem like the the sellout issues are localized in in a number just a, a select number of markets. Definitely not New England, of course. So uh, I I think it's a it's an issue. Uh, it's definitely a political issue in terms of the blackout policy. But I, I, you know, I do sometimes think that a lot of what the commissioner is talking about is is really more for internal communication to get the the, the teams that are sort of dragging their feet on marketing and sales to you know to, to get moving. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, and sticking with uh, you know. TV and viewing, the NFL Network, uh, it was announced that they're going to have additional games next year. Uh, how do you see that, the NFL Network, moving forward? Well, obviously, they're trying to put pressure on Tom Warner Cable and Cablevision to carry their product. Uh, it's somewhat of a black eye on the NFL that uh, you, can't, you, know, you can't get NFL Network and most of Manhattan, the, the headquarters of the league. Uh, if, you had Fi- if you have Fios or DirecTV, which not a lot of people in the city do, uh, you can get it, but it's a Time Warner Cable area, and you can't get NFL Network. It is, it is quite frustrating if you're an NFL fan and, and you can't see these games. Now, nearly the entire season will be on NFL Network, uh, weeks 2 through 15. Uh, so uh, I, I've talked to some people who think that could that could move the ball, uh, at least for Time Warner. Cablevision is sort of nuts. You can't, 
expect anything, <laughs> you know, rational with them. Uh, right. So, but <laughs> you would know. Warner, but with Time Warner Cable, it, it's, po- it, it, it's possible. They, they have been, Time Warner Cable has been drawing a hard line on sports, what, what the sports channels are, are charging. Right now they're in a dispute with MSG, the... Uh, which carries the Knicks and the Rangers and all the uh, garden properties. Uh, for the last month and a half, uh, Tom Warner Cable customers have not been able to get that channel, um, which has not been a huge problem, although now that the Knicks have a marketable player in Jeremy Lin, it will be interesting to see how that plays out locally. But that's all a way of underscoring uh, it, just because they're putting the NFL is putting more games on NFL Network, it's not a given that Tom Warner Cable is going to say, "Okay, we're going to pay your 85 cents a, a month per subscriber and uh, and, and put it on." Uh, it's it may not it still may not happen. All right, and last question, Dan. Uh, you'd referenced earlier uh, the CBA in relation to the stadium issue out in Santa Clara being built out there. And now that we're, you know, uh, six, seven months past the end of the lockout, the CBA is, you know, in effect for the next 10 years. What are your thoughts at this point on, you know, the CBA and and how it looks so far going forward and what effect, if any, has it had so far? Well, look, clear, look. It clearly was a win for the owners. No matter what, no matter what the player leadership would like to say, it was clearly a win for the owners. Uh, just look at the salary cap. The salary cap came down uh, from the last year of the cap, and it's going to be flat next year. Uh, so the first two years of a ten-year deal, caps down. Um, you look at the investments being made in the NFL and the, and the, uh, the stadiums, the acquisition of the Jaguars, a couple of large uh, a limited partnership investments in the Bengals and the Falcons and the, and the 49ers. Um, this is all occurring in part because of the CBA, uh, because the owners and investors now see a much more favorable economic model. Uh, players were getting about 51% of the entire pie under the old system, and in this one, it's a little hazy, but it's probably something like 40, you know, 45, 44 percent. It could even be less. Um, it, it's, it's, not, it's not so clear-cut. It's not, it's not such an easy answer. But it, it's, the owners definitely got a significant revenue shift back to them. And don't discount the, the rookie system. The, the, the knowing that you don't have to pay uh, an incoming rookie $50, $60 million uh, and that that doesn't screw up your entire uh, system for the next three, four years if that rookie is a bust and, you can, and you've got money tied up. That's a, that's a big thing. That, that's a really big thing for a lot of these teams. Uh, what, what some of the player agents and some of the uh, disaffected people in the player community say is, why, why did you tie rookies down to teams for such a long period of time, five years? Um, you may have solved the bust issue, but what happens to a player like Cam Newton who signs a, his contract his rookie year, can't renegotiate until after year three. There's no real performance incentives in his deal because the new CBA doesn't allow much of that. Uh, there's no escalators. You know, there's a lot of people asking, what's up, you know, what, what is, why was that done? And it's probably best encapsulated by the memo sent to agents by the player lawyer, David Cornwell, who asked a lot of these questions. And so it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks leading up to the election for the next executive director of the NFLPA whether D. Smith, the current incumbent, floats in and these aren't really big issues or whether this does come back to bite him. 
Wow. Well, that is fabulous perspective. Uh, I, I myself have thought a lot about the whole rookie situation and agree with you that it is a huge uh, factor from the CBA. And uh, well, Dan, you got me excited about the off season even more so than I already was, let alone the upcoming season. And uh, well, it won't be as exciting as the last off season. I can tell you that. When that's we had for a sure. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, of course, you know, up here in. Nantasket, Massachusetts, a little beachside community. They had that uh, clandestine meeting that nobody knew about, and we all remember the famous pictures in the rain of Robert Goodell, Roger Goodell and Robert Kraft, uh, you know, with the Atlantic Ocean in the background. And so we won't be having little things like that to look forward to this this no, off season. But find out where the secret me- the so-called secret meetings were. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was fun. That we yeah, that was fun. We're not going to have that anymore. I know. Well, we'll just have to we'll just have to work our way through it. But uh, Dan, you know, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I know you cover the NFL like no one else, and you really have uh, brought that perspective to the show today. And uh, I look forward to having you on again someday down the road. Okay, thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, Dan. Thank you very much. And. Uh, and now we're going to take our break, and stick coming on the other side will be Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. The Revolution with Jim and Trav, brought to you by Zeiss. This week on the show will be... Mark Zona from Zona's Awesome Fishing Show, Classic Winner Mike Iaconelli, Rebel Lures Lawrence Taylor, Unpros Chance Orth, and Cat Daddy, when we talk about the Bassmaster Classic coming up later this month. All brought to you by Ram Trucks at ramtrucks.com. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. I'm Jim Ferguson. I'll see you on the trail. Kevin Lewis has been a student of the game his entire life, from Little League to the NFL. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Voice America Sports. Hustling with K. Lewis. It's not where you start, it's how you finish. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. He'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment three, which will be our final segment today on All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And it was great having Dan Kaplan from Sports Journal, Business Journal, give his 
NFL perspective and for more NFL perspective, uh, joining us on the line now is our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. And Barry, I know you're a lifelong Giants fan, so congratulations. You must be feeling good this week. Well, yeah, and uh, first of all, my, my condolences to, to, to you and all the other uh, hat fans out there. You know, we spoke briefly uh, you know, before we went on. Um, you know, it, it, we've all been on both sides of this. And it's, it's, it's very difficult being on, on the losing side, especially when your team goes so far and there's always such high hopes and you get to that point. But I think for, for, for Giant fans, and certainly in New York, it's been a whirlwind uh, month, never mind a week. But uh, I think just just being in just being in the city during the night of the Super Bowl and, and the next day as well, the day of the parade, it was just uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday was was, was parade day. Um, it was just it was just a great experience, just kind of being a part of it. You know, seeing all the people with their with their hats and you know all the sporting goods stores selling the the Super Bowl memorabilia, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I think. In a, in, a, in a way, at least this is the way I feel, and I think a lot of other people may feel the same way. I think this 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 Super Bowl, I think Giant fans feel happier about this one than this is the last one. I think the last one against the Patriots, it was really not this. The outcome was not expected. I mean, obviously the Patriots were going for that undefeated season, and the Giants were huge underdogs. And you know the way things worked out it was it was more of a surprise. I think for, I think this time this scenario was 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 much more plausible and much more realistic and much more much more one that people could actually say yeah they have a shot yeah they really can win this game and if you looked at the um at the polls you know as you know fan polls before the super bowl and i remember looking at the at the one espn did on sports nation it was 50 50 split right down the middle between giants and pat so this one really was was one that, that really could have gone either way and one that you know giant fans and the giants Players in the organization really felt they they had a had a chance to win a really good chance to win, and I, I think that you know in the in the aftermath of the game, you know, listening to all the interviews, you know, with with, with Tom Coughlin, who was basically you know, he, I mean, right? How many how many times has he been fired? In, you know, and, and not fired in, in New York, uh, even even this season. I mean, when they were scuffling at seven and seven, you know, there were people screaming, you know, what? It's, it's time for this guy to go. And, you know, as, and as we mentioned previously on this show, I think the, the Jet game, and more specifically the 99-yard pass uh, touchdown to Victor Cruz, kind of turned everything around for this team. And, and ever since that point, it's been building and building and building, believing more and more that they can do this. And I, I, I just get the feeling, just from listening to the interviews I was starting to get to this point, that I just feel that there's just so much pride and satisfaction and happiness uh, for the Giants, for the organization, for this for this particular team, because I think this was a likable team for the most part. You know, did they did they they shoot their mouths up a little bit? Yeah, they did. But I think that you know, again, we talked about this prior too. I, I think that it wasn't so much cockiness as it was confidence. It's like, hey, you know what? We know we can win this game. We know we we know we're good enough. You know, it's like Antoine Roll said during Super Bowl week. You know, what, what do you all want to say? That we think we're going to lose? We think we're going to get killed? We think they're better than us. We can't go into it thinking that way. You just can't. So I think all those things together um, just added to a really you know, wonderful experience. And of course, you know, not everyone would agree that it was an instant classic. I mean, obviously, going ending the way it did, and you know, with uh, you know, all the intrigue down the stretch, with 
you know, were the Giants going to score that touchdown? You know, Ahmad Bradshaw, you know, thinking at the last second, well, gee, should I not score? No, that, no, what do I do? And he scores a touchdown. Of course you're going to score the touchdown. You, you can't not score the touchdown to go ahead. Uh, you know, the fear was giving, you know, Tom Brady 57 seconds, which is a lifetime in a football game, as we all know. So I think that, uh, you know, the way it ended and, you know, certainly the Patriots having a shot if they had had one or two more plays to try to do a couple more tries, who knows how it may have ended. It may have, it, it may have, could have easily gone the other way. So I think there was a big relief. I think there was a sense of just real sense of accomplishment for this team, uh, given where they came from this season, given um, you know, the parallels to 2007. But I think this was more, um, more satisfaction, more uh, just an understanding of, you know what, the confidence level is that high. The Giants can win this thing, and I and I think as you know, speaking as, as 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 a fan, I mean, you know, as we talked about on the show, you know, I've always been pretty open to the fact that I've been a lifelong Giants fan, as you mentioned before. Uh, I just felt so so proud, so happy for this team, and and again, that's why we all watch sports in the first place. That's why we're all fans. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate that only one fan base can feel this way after every season and every sport. That that that, that that's the way it works. But when your team goes all the way, when your team wins, it's you, just that feeling of euphoria just carries you through the day. And, it, and you know, whatever all other problems you might have, it just kind of minimizes them a little bit. And, you know, I, I think we should all relate to that. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure uh, you and other uh, Pat fans would agree that, um, you know, felt the same way when the Patriots won. So that, that's a pretty universal thing. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a happy time in New York. And, you know, the lights on the Empire State Building on the top of the building have been in blue all week uh, in honor of the Giants. So it's, uh, you know, it's certainly a, a, a nice feeling going into the off season, and it's a, it's, a, it's a great celebration in the city, absolutely. Well, much deserved, and big blue. Uh, you know, they're an organization that demands respect. Uh, you know, I have, you know, some ties to them as well. I interviewed Steve Tisch for an article I did uh for Financial Times of London on the NFL's international strategy a couple years ago, and uh, he was terrific. And I've been at owners' meetings where I've listened to John Mara speak. Again, terrific. Uh, Pat Hanlon, uh, the longtime public relations executive uh, with the Giants, uh, started with the Steelers, grew up not too far from me in uh, central Pennsylvania, and then he was up here for a time with the Patriots where I first met him, and then... uh, We've been in communication since his uh, uh, since he's been at the Giants, and and then ran into each other on Media Day uh, last Tuesday, which was great. And Tom Coughlin, I met him in an owners' meeting in Orlando about a year and a half ago, and uh, he actually lived on the same street that I I lived on prior to my current. Uh, uh, residence here in Medfield, but it was over in next town over in Norfolk, Massachusetts, and uh, that, of course, was when Coughlin was with Boston College, so he has deep, deep Boston roots, and when I met him, you know, I right. said, you know, I, m- I mentioned the name of the street that we both lived on at different times, and, you know, That's his really face funny. just lit up, and he was terrific, and we chatted, and uh, so, you know, I, I, I have, again, a personal connection, so I was very pleased to see the Giants, uh you know, do it, and basically, I agree with you that this one means a lot because this solidifies them as a great team. You know, when the core of that team is wins two Super Bowls, they're a great team. Period. Yeah, and, and I think that you know it's right, and it, as you said, it does solidify you know sort of the legacy of 
you know, they're already talking about the legacy of Tom Coughlin now. Uh, you know, will he get in the Hall of Fame? You know, we'll, we'll see how that works. But, you know, for, for a, you know, a coach winning two, a coach and a player for, you know, Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning together, they've won two Super Bowls. So, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, there's even people debating, you know, whether Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. You know, to me, it's kind of a silly argument because he's still got a good, you know, several years left to cement his legacy. You know, who knows how, how many more he can win or, or how his career is going to go. But he certainly, um, you know, uh, that established himself as a, quote, elite quarterback. And I don't think there's any doubt of that from this point on that, that nope. he's been able to do that. You know, so I, I think that it's, it's uh, you know, it says a lot. For, for legacy and certainly for for the Marin Tish families, um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't think you would ever find you would be hard pressed to find anyone in the NFL to say a bad word about the Maris or the Tishes. So you know, it's, it's, a, it's a classy organization. You know, much like the respect people have, I think, for Robert Kraft and the Patriots, it's very similar. The feeling for the Marin Tish families and, and the Giants. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's a real. I think you know, for if, if you're if you're a New York sports fan, it's, it's really a you know we talk about feel good stories. I mean, this really is really is one, and you know, uh, similar to you know uh, you know when they won their first Super Bowl in 1986, you, know, you saw the "Now I Can Die in Peace" T-shirts because they had been so bad for so long. And you know, when I was a kid, when I was a, a, a young a young guy growing up, it, there were a lot of lean years. You know, back in the back in the 70s and early 80s, they were that terrible team. But, uh, you know, they've certainly established themselves as, you know, one of the, the, the top franchises, having won four Super Bowls and, you know, uh, being a contender in most years. And uh, it's, it's a lot to be proud of, I think, if you're a New Yorker and if you're a Giants fan. So, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a culmination of a lot of, uh, a lot of great things this season. Right you are. And, uh, yeah, well, again, congratulations to them. To you, they earned it. Clearly, the better team. They've beaten the Patriots three straight times. That's it, all in identical fashion, and uh, that's I think really all that needs to be said. And uh, so, you know, Barry, why don't you give me some of your thoughts on you know the game itself? Uh, I've given some you know a view through the Patriot prism, shall we say? Uh, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on you know. Uh, what happened on the field from, through the through the New York Giants lens? Yeah, I, I think there were a couple of really uh, you know, unsung heroes in the game, and uh, one of them being uh, Steve Weatherford, the punter, who uh, last year was with the Jets and uh, you know, unceremoniously was let go. Uh, he and the special teams coach Mike Westhoff did not get along, and he signed with the Giants. And the Giants uh, you know, famously had punting issues last year with a rookie punter, Matt Dodge, and especially in the, in the uh, last game at the Bockle against the Eagles at the Meadowlands. You know how that, you know how that worked out. But when they brought in Steve Weatherford, he was pretty solid all season long, but uh, excellent directional punter. And he's a real fiery, rah-rah guy. You know, he goes down on special teams, he makes tackles, and he's just a real spark plug. And, you know, he, he pinned the Patriots back several times. Uh, on, you know, punts inside the 10, inside the 5, you know, and, and did a great job. And I, I think, you know, uh, setting the tone for field position, that was huge. And I think another guy who, you know, deserves a lot of credit down the stretch um, that you know, the national audience may not be aware of is uh, linebacker Chase Blackburn, who was with the team last year, um, was not re-signed uh, this year you know, with, with the lockout and everything. 
Um, he was a school teacher. He's working as a teacher. And he, uh, he, he was just concentrating on doing that, but he had stayed in shape, hoping for somebody to call. And then when the Giants had all their injury problems regular season, they had a host of linebackers that went down. They gave him a call, and he came back. And he started you know, pretty much every game down the stretch and was a starter going all the way uh, to the Super Bowl and made that huge interception. Um, uh, running down the field after Rob Gronkowski, which you know could have been a killer for the Giants had that one been completed. Um, you know, as it turned out, the Giants did not score in that position, but that took more time away from Brady and the Patriots' offense to do their thing. So that was a, a, a huge turning point, I thought, because if you remember the replays of it, Gronkowski was running down the field all by himself. He was wide open, and it seemed that Blackburn just was, noticed what saw what was going on at the last second was able to kind of sprint to the spot, jump up, and down the ball, and there it was. So I, I, I thought those were two, two guys that really – really deserve a lot of credit for the way the game turned out. I mean, you know, neither one of them are superstars, and you know, neither one of them will, will be MVPs or in that conversation. But, you know, those, those were two, two guys and, and two instances I thought really, really stood out. And, you know, of course, again, all the intrigue going down the stretch of, you know, well, should the Giants not score a touchdown? The Patriots obviously, you know, letting Ahmad Bradshaw score that touchdown, you know, very late in the game. And, and uh, Eli Manning was yelling at, at Bradshaw saying, don't score, don't score, but by that time it was too late. You're not really expecting that. But in my opinion, you have to take the points. And especially when you're losing, you know, think about it. You know, there's a reluctant touchdown to put the team ahead with 57 seconds left in the Super Bowl. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, right? But had he not scored, that would have forced the Patriots to use that last timeout. And then the Giants would have had maybe one more play to try to punch it in or take a field goal. But, you know, as we all know, we're all we're watching this game a long time. Field goals, even though they're like extra points, it's, they're not, it's not a sure thing. It never is. And, you know, we've seen games end in the past with, you know, things that we short, like field goals we, we thought were sure things, and there's a bad snap, something gets botched, uh, something, something gets blocked. I mean, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul blocking a field goal against the Cowboys to win a huge game, and that was pretty much a gimme field goal, too. Um, and, the, and the kick that that won uh, the NFC Championship for the Giants, the field goal by Lawrence Stein. Once again, Steve Weatherford, another unsung hero, another unsung moment. That that snap was on the ground. The ball was actually on the ground. Weatherford picked it up, got a handle on it, got the ball set up, and Times was able to boot it through for the winning field goal in the NFC Championship. So it, it, it's, it's little things like that that, that make a big difference. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, that little intrigue at the end was, was interesting, but at the end it worked out the way I think the Giants hoped it would. You know, you go up at four points, forcing the Patriots uh, to score a touchdown, and they almost did, as, as, as we saw in that last play. You know, when I watched them, uh, I thought they had a really good shot at it. It wasn't until watching it on the replay that you know, Gronkowski was not quite as close to it as it appeared the first time. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, uh, Pat fans, Giant fans across the country, their hearts stopped on that Hail Mary try. And, uh, listen, the Giants completed the Hail Mary uh, in the playoff game of the pack, so there was for that, and we've seen it done. So, you know, it was just a, just a great game and a, a great memory and uh, an instant classic, I think. And uh, you know, we just we just we just take it, we go on. But it was, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of unsung heroes and a lot of big moments from that game. Certainly, uh, you know, from a giant perspective, to come out on top. 
Indeed it was. It was memorable, to say the least. And, uh, you know, coming down to a Hail, Hail Mary was just terrific. And, uh, yeah, just just truly amazing to watch. And uh, so now, were you in town for the day of the parade? Yes, I was. I think I had fleeting thoughts about going to the parade, but, you know, I watched part of it on TV, and it was, it was like a New Year's Eve type of atmosphere in New York, if you, if you saw any in the, in the pictures. Um, it really, in lower Manhattan, it really was like Times Square on New Year's Eve. There were wall-to-wall blue jerseys, um, you know, very, very orderly, very, very well-run parade put together uh, very quickly. Uh, New York does it well. And uh, between, the, you know, the Yankees winning all their championships and uh, the, we've seen the Stanley Cup championship break with the Rangers back in 94 uh, and a couple of ones they did for the Giants. So, you know, New York City knows how to, how to do this sort of thing and they want to pull together. And uh, it was quite a show. And, you know, and, you know, I, 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 it, part of me even hates to bring this up because, you know, it's kind of a, a common on our society as a whole. And I think you can put Boston in this, in this group as well. You know, you, 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 you like to think, you like to act like you've been there before, right? So I think that uh, Giants fans and also Boston fans can be commended, you know, for, you know, celebrating in a, in a proper manner in a, quote, professional manner, in a way that does their cities proud. And you know, this isn't something that was really discussed because in New York, the feeling is, you know, New Yorkers know, know how to handle themselves in these sort of situations. You know, we didn't see any of the nonsense that we saw in Vancouver a year ago after the Stanley Cup Finals. And, you know, I think I, think I can lump New York fans and Boston fans into the same category because Boston fans know how to celebrate victory as well. So, you know, that, that was nice to see. But, you know, again, you almost hate to commend people for acting in a civilized manner. So, but yeah, I, I thought that was a, that, that was a nice touch too. Uh, that it was, a, it was, it was peaceful, well run. Um, people behaved, people were, people celebrated, people were happy, but there was no, no foolishness afterwards, which, which was a nice thing to see. So, uh, a nice exclamation point for the whole experience. Yep. Well, it was great. Well, Barry, thanks again for taking the time to join us today and my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing, a little departure. If you still need a little NFL, you can watch the Pro-Am at Pebble Beach with the likes of Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, and uh, Tony Romo participating. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening to All Around Sports, and we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.